0: Amazing Grace Kona welcome you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy.
1: Turn with me to Mark chapter 12 and look where we pick up today in verse 28. Now one of the scribes came and heard them arguing and, he, and recognizing that Jesus had answered them well, he asked him, What commandment is foremost of all? What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered, the foremost is, by the way, this is Deuteronomy 6. To the Jews, they would know this. This is like around verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. One God, one Lord. And you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second commandment, is like the first. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandment greater than these, Jesus says. Now I got a question. If Jesus says there is no other commandment greater than these, how many commandments are greater than these? None? How come there's some churches today saying, Well those are good commandments, but we have some extra rules you need to follow. You need to be joined To our group in our special initiation, we have our own special baptism. And then you need to be sealed in our own special group in our special temple. And you need to wear our special holy underwear. And you need to then go on missions for our special group. And you need to give your money. And they have all these things they add that make them somehow more special because they have the greater understanding, the greater commands. What would Jesus say to those guys today? He did not approve. Jesus, if he says these are the two greatest commandments, there is no other one's greater. If you can just but do these two, love God with all, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, love him with everything genuine. That's that's like all the dimensions of who you are. From the heart, the emotions, the the mind, you know, the thoughts. The soul, your very spiritual, that being that's you, uniquely inside you, that eternal part of you, and the strength is representing the body. You know, with your strength, love him. You know what's interesting? That it's a package deal. That in, in Jesus's day, he's speaking to these people that, you know, a lot of Greek influence had come over into the region over there in Israel. I don't know if you're familiar with the Mediterranean region, but Greece is not that far away from Israel. And the thinking of the Greeks was we have not we're not just like the, the base animals with just human fleshly drives and instincts. We have we have our minds. We have our hearts, our emotions, we have and they recognize that we have all these other parts of our being they actually made different words in Greek for the different kinds of love. They had eros, which is the word we get erotic from. It's for physical attraction, just that base physical love. And then phileo, which is the word we get Philadelphia from. The What is Philadelphia? The city of brotherly love, that, that kind of love that is friendship, that is well it's a it's a brother it's it's a, a recognition that that person is just a fellow human being it's a different they actually had a different word for that type of love that that could be phileo could be like you know the love you have brotherly love to to your brethren is it not you're in love with them but it's just a recognition that's my fellow human being on the earth and and just that that part of us is wired to show brotherly love to that individual But we have agape, which is the highest love, God's love. Agapeo is to love with unconditional love. We have all these different parts of us made to love on different levels. And Jesus says, you want to do my? I mean, how tough is Jesus when he gives the rules? Let's see, guys. Love God with all of your being. And second one's like the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you do these, you fulfill all the law. I like Jesus, man. He just saved me 613 Levitical statutes. You ever read the book of Leviticus? It's dry. I mean, it's a slow read. If your neighbor's ox scores your ox, then you got to take your ox and give it to him. And you got to take the dead ox and divide it up. And you know, all this stuff that if you really loved your neighbor as yourself, you would have done anyway. But well, they had to write the rules down because people didn't love their neighbors the way they loved themselves. You know that it is becoming politically incorrect to teach what we used to call the golden rule. Put your hand up if you went to school where they actually put that on the in the classroom somewhere or in the hall. This is standard operating procedure. And the Ten Commandments, anyone go... To any public places where the Ten Commandments were actually displayed? Do you know that they're saying, we can't have that? It imposes morality on us. Well, too bad. We need morality. Like that? Morality says, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not covet. I mean, those are some pretty good morals. Right? And we won't allow it in school, but do you know we allow Bibles in jails, in prisons? After you already broke the rules, then you can learn the rules. But we don't want to let you read the rules before you break the rules. Go ahead and kill someone, and then we'll throw you in jail, then we'll let you read the Bible. But no Bibles in school. That makes me sad. I mean, it just makes me, oh Lord, forgive our nation. We are going the wrong way. Now, in verse 32, then the scribe, Answers Jesus and says, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him, he says, with all with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, He said to this man, you are not far from the kingdom of God. This guy was heading on the right track. And then it says something that just blows my mind. Verse 34, the last part says, and after that, no one even ventured to ask Jesus any more questions. What? Okay, anyone here... little jealous at this point that they get to go ask questions. Would anyone, if you were back there, back then, would go with me and get in line and we'd make a line and say, Jesus, can we ask the next one? Does anyone here have a question you would ask the Lord if you got five minutes with him? Would it be fun to just go and talk to him and ask? But after Jesus teaches this teaching, such a simple teaching, and tells that fella, you're you're on the right course. You know, you're you're doing well. I find it interesting. He's saying to the guy, "Yeah, good." And they wouldn't venture to ask him anything else. Why did they do that? Why did they shut up? They were afraid, weren't they? They're afraid to look stupid, too. Sometimes we just don't ask questions cuz we don't want everyone else to know we don't know. I thank the Lord. Jesus never. He didn't say, "Okay, that's it. No more questions." No, he answers the questions. To the ones that were jerks, he answered them with, "Well, what's the what's the psalm say to the?" Or no, I'm sorry, in Proverbs, to the one who's astute, he appears astute. Or the Old King James says, "To the one who's twisted, he gives the twisted answer." To the one who's upright, he gives the way of righteousness, the, the right end. He, these so The guys that were smart alecks, he just shut them down. But this guy, was he a smart aleck when he was asking what was the greatest commandment? No. He really wanted to know. And Jesus gave him the genuine answer. And if I never preach another message to you, and you but you remember, what's the last thing the pastor said? He said, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And, who's, and, and who was he quoting? Jesus. Would you do well to do that. And Jesus said to him. When when that man said. You're right. That's the most important thing. Jesus says. You're on the right path. But because he was on the right path. And he gave the right answer. Well he didn't actually give it. He asked the right question. Jesus gave the answer. And he acknowledged Jesus' answer. Everyone else in class went. I'm not going to ask you anything. I'm embarrassed now. No one would dare ask him another question. Isn't that sad? They all shut down. Now, I used to be bummed because I was like, but I still have more questions, right? And I think, yeah, but when I read the big story of the Bible, and I think about that, the last answer he gives, the last one, the one that he said is to the guy, you're on the right path. Good job. The last answer he gives is the one the church has forgot to do. This is the end of his public teaching in the the respect of all the crowds are there. They're all listening. Because what's going to happen in the story, the big picture, right? Like right after this, they're going to come and arrest him, beat him, crucify him, right? So this is not really, like for me, I'm saying, "Oh, oh, but Lord, one more question. And he's going, he already knows that the finale's coming and the very last teaching you get to hear Jesus give to i'm saying to the multitudes here okay with everyone he's going to pull his disciples aside he's going to tell them certain things at the last supper and wash their feet and say i'm the master and if i'm the master and i wash your feet then what should you do for one another he was setting the example but the last this is it guys the last really big public thing. They wouldn't ask any more questions after this. Now, it doesn't mean he won't give them a few more choice words what he will choose. But the questioning is going to stop. and, And by the way, this was actually a good genuine question this fellow was asking. Well, then Jesus, he answered. He began to say, as he taught in the temple, listen to the last teaching here. He says, How is it that the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? Remember, the scribes wrote that the Christ will be whose son? Descended of who? David. And yet David said in the Holy Spirit, here in Psalm, he's quoting Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath my feet. David himself calls him Lord. And so in what sense is he his son? How can he be his son if he calls him his Lord? And the great crowd enjoyed listening to Jesus. But did the teachers like this teaching? By the way, it, it might not make too much sense to you culturally, but he's he's really putting a twist on, he's putting it actually into the right light. David said of the Lord that the Lord is his Lord. But David was the one that the Messiah would come through down line. And in Jewish culture, your ancestors are, you know, your forefathers. They're the ones that like, you kind of, you respect them. He says, but how can it be that he, the way he talks about him is he's giving, calling him Lord, but it's his down line. Isn't that backwards? And the crowds are like, man, we like this guy. He really stumps those religious dudes. They don't even know what to answer. Now, verse 38 says, So he was teaching, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and they like respectful greetings in the marketplace and they like the chief seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquets. They always want to be seated up front. Watch out for these guys. They are the ones who devour widows' houses for appearance' sake and they they offer long prayers. The Pharisees, they'd come to a banquet and they'd say, I will do the blessing. And then they'd go on and on and the meat's getting cold and, and and the drinks is getting warm and it's all like, oh, gee, those people work really hard to get this ready. And this long pharisaical prayer just ruined it. Now, how much do they like him at this point, the leaders? Did he just win another brownie point? No. But verse 41, he's really going to sting him. And then he sat down opposite the treasury. He began observing, it says, the multitude, that they were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. Now, it says, a poor widow came up and put two small copper coins, which amounted to about a cent. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them privately, he said, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow put more than all of those other contributors into the treasury. He says, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she put in all that she owned, all that she had to live on. You know, in proportion, she gave up more. She was giving up the very things that she needed to live on and honoring God. And in God's eyes. Now, I know that this is not how men measure it. Then men go, hey, the rich dude just put in, you know, a bunch of big coins, lots of gold and silver. And she comes with two small copper coins. Don't even amount to a cent. In in, in the old King James, a farthing, uh, um, be like we call an eighth of a cent. She gave nothing. But was it nothing to her? It was all she had to live on. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, she honored God more than they did. She took from what she needed to say, God, you're more important than even my own needs. I honor you. The rich dude is like not even scratching the surface of giving in that same way, in that same relation. And Jesus, he wanted his disciples to to understand something. Does God look at the dollar amount of what you drop in the box? No, he's looking at the heart. to, To him, she was honoring him in a greater way. That woman honored God more greatly than the rich man did. Because God sees the heart. Don't ever forget that. The Lord is not looking at the outside. He's looking down in the inside. And he knows the heart. And sometimes he tests our heart. Sometimes he like wants to check us out, you know, put us through the test and see if we pass. And personally, I don't really subscribe well to these teachings that American churches have come up with forgiving and tithing. They, they, they teach these weird tithing things, you know that God wants us to make a sacrifice they use the widow by the way. They use this for, for the springboard to their to their message. everybody? We should give sacrificially like the like the widow did. So let's all practice giving out of all that we have to live on. Everybody reach into your pockets. No, no, better than that. Everybody open your wallets. I remember one of the churches I got mass flood of people telling me. At church, the pastor said, open your wallets. Now everybody reach over into your neighbor's wallet and pull out the biggest denominations you can grab and give it for them. So that they can give sacrificially. <laughs> what? It doesn't say someone came and robbed the widow and gave her coins. She gave it willingly of her own heart. And anything you gotta steal from your neighbor to give, God does not interested. Okay, that's not that's not a good biblical teaching. It later, you know, the pastor apologized for it. Sorry, that was a bad move. It was just he was being he's being himself. He's a very comical guy. So but you know, guys, we want to be sincere. And, and no, God, Jesus saw, right, the heart of what was going on. He said, that widow, she gave more than all those rich guys. Now, Jesus said, even if you give a cup of water to someone in my name, it's like you did it to me. He will not forget. Jesus said, store up your treasure in heaven. Not on earth. He says, where moth and rust does not destroy, thieves do not break in and steal. But whatever we put upstairs, what we put with our Father, that will never be taken away. And Jesus, he taught us to store up our treasure up there. Because where your treasures are, he says something else will be there also. What will be there? Your heart. If you do not think you're wired for treasure, you you fooled yourself. Jesus knows the motives of our hearts, but what he says is don't store up your treasure here. You can't take your treasure that's here with you into the next life, but you can use the things what you have here and you can invest them for the next life. You can give someone a glass of water in his name and he says it's like he gave it to him and he, I don't know what you're going to get, maybe in a golden chalice when you get there. Remember that cup of water you gave to that person? Here. Here's your your upgrade. I am pretty confident Jesus will upgrade us. Anyone here believe that will happen? You know, if you read the scripture, you know it is. It's going to be awesome. So hold fast to that. Don't get your heart so stuck on stuff down here. Let's follow his teaching. Love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. And let's love our neighbor like he says, like ourselves.
0: Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. If your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the big island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona airport. For more information about Amazing Grace Kona, go to our website, AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.